With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ياسين والقرآن الحكيم إنك لمن المرسلين على صراط مستقيم رب الشحل رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم ما بعد once again everyone assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh let's try and get to know surah yasin one of the most famous often recited surahs of the makkah quran a very very beautiful surah uh, i'll try to give you an overview of this surah by breaking it up into six distinct parts that's probably one of the best ways to kind of remember what's covered in this remarkable surah the first part of this surah uh, actually highlights how the Quran can only be revelation and how the Quran has the power to revive hearts. That's the point of that first passage, that the Prophet has been given this this recital to talk to a nation that's been completely heedless and unaware for generation upon generation upon generation, and they need to recognize the divine nature and power and the wisdom of this remarkable Qur'an. That's the first passage in sum. The second passage of the surah, the second section of the surah, is a long story of a, a unique long story, again, not told anywhere else in the Qur'an, of a nation that didn't just receive one, but three messengers. Allah enforced them with three messengers that would preach to them and they still wouldn't listen and they would still ridicule and mock to the point where actually another came from out of nowhere, from the far end of another town, he came running and spoke to them and said, you need to follow the messengers. You know, so and, and what's amazing about this story, so, so many unique elements, you typically don't get three messengers in one town. That's the first thing. The second thing is those three messengers spoke briefly in the Quran and the one, the, the their companion, you can say, the believer, who was now a faithful member of the believing community, a sahabi, if you will, a companion, he spoke more in the Quran. Allah quoted him more than all three messengers put together, which is pretty amazing. You would think that the messengers are there, he shouldn't be talking. He should just listen to them. Or people just tell them, just listen to them. I don't have any place to speak. But it's as though he recognizes that the prophets have their job to do, the messengers have their job to do, I have my job to do, I'm obligated to speak the truth as well. And he doesn't absolve himself from that responsibility by just saying, well, the messengers are here, they're going to do their job. And that's something Allah highlights in this remarkable story, a profound lesson from history. And that's really how I like to title this second section is a lesson from history. The third section 
is actually something, a signature of different places in the Qur'an where Allah asks people to, okay, fine, you're not going to think about revelation and you're not going to learn from history. At least look around you. Look around you. Ponder over the world that's been created around you. Have you ever thought about the earth? That's dead, that's been brought back to life. Have you pondered over ships that sail in the sea? Have you pondered over the sky? These kinds of things. This is what Allah is going to highlight. And you have, have you pondered over your children who make journeys for prosperity? You know, They board their children up uh, onto boarded ships. Like the image even of today of somebody putting their children on a flight to go so they can get a college education or because they got a new job and things like that. Right, so this idea of people traveling for prosperity purposes. Have you reflected even on this? How I allow all of this to happen and how I give you the grace to be able to live good lives and flourish in this world. That's this third passage. So if I take you back again, it was the timeless wisdom of the Quran was one, lessons from history was two, and then the third was look around you and the world around you. That's number three. Passage number four contrasts with passage number three. It's a brief passage, just three ayat, where basically Allah says, there are some people who just refuse to see. No matter what you show them, they don't want to hear it. They're just blind to the truth. So they're, they're, these are people that refuse to ponder what is in front of them and what they have behind them. Which is an interesting phrase, you know. Be cautious of what is right in front of you and what is behind you so that you may be shown mercy is a very succinct way of saying, why don't you look at what is right in front of you, which is things to reflect on as you visibly see them, and what is behind you is history, which was the previous passage before then. Because so far the Qur'an has talked about itself, it's talked about history and the world around us, and now it says there are some people who look, refuse to look at the world in front of them and refuse to look back at history as well. And they just remain stubborn no matter what you say, they don't want to change their behavior. This would be our fourth passage, the stubborn and the blind. Right? From here, you go to the consequences of being stubborn and blind. Allah will talk in the fifth passage about the, the day of judgment, resurrection, questioning, even people being thrown into the hellfire, and this, this horrible scene of, of judgment day and resurrection where very little attention is given to those that are saved, and the majority of the time Allah highlights those that have not been saved and why they weren't saved. So the scary parts of hellfire uh, and the scary parts of resurrection are given more emphasis in Surah Yasin than actually those that have been saved. It's interesting that in that passage, that which is the fifth passage of the surah, it's the middle ayah of the surah that's about the people of Jannah, and everything around it is the people of hellfire, remarkably. So that's the, that's your fifth passage. And finally, the, the last passage, the sixth passage of this surah is actually about the Qur'an again, where it started. Like the first one was about the Qur'an, the last one's about the Qur'an. But this time Allah says it's not just poetry. First He said it's full of wisdom. And now He says, We didn't teach him poetry. It doesn't fit him either. It's not something that's befitting of the Prophet that he would just make poetry or entertain people. This revelation is not there to entertain you. And in contrast to the first one, in the first one Allah says the Qur'an's purpose is to guide heedless people. That we're just completely unaware. In this, he highlights there are people who Allah created from just a drop of fluid and He created them out of nothing and they act like they can argue with Allah. They're arrogant before the Qur'an. So there are two different bad attitudes towards the Qur'an. Ignorance and heedlessness, which is in the beginning, and arrogance and pompous attitudes towards the Qur'an by the end. But both of them, both of those passages reflect the Qur'an. Now what I want to share with you, just as an overview, there are six passages, I'll give them quick titles again so you can keep a mental map, right? So the, the first one was about the Qur'an and the heedless. And then Allah talked about lessons from history. Then he talked about the creation all around us. 
Then he talked about the blind. That was our fourth passage. The blind who, who refused to see creation around them, refused to think about the past. Then he talked about the day of judgment and what's going to happen to the criminals and also what's going to happen to those who actually did take heed, who weren't blind. And finally, he'll talk about the Quran and how the arrogant don't respond to it the way that they should. This is a pretty amazing organization because if you think of it, it begins with the timeless word of Allah and it ends with the timeless word of Allah. So the first and the last passage have something in common. They both are about the Quran. They're both about the timeless nature of the Quran and they both highlight the attitudes that one should not have towards the Quran. If you look at what's left in the middle, four passages in the middle, they're actually in a chronological sequence. In other words, you've got history, then you've got look at the world around you as it is in the present, and those who don't look at the world around them as it is in the present, and then you've got the day of judgment, which is the future. So in a sense, in the middle, you've got the past, the present, and the future. This is pretty amazing. And then if you look at it yet another way, the first and the sixth passage are both about the Qur'an. The second passage is about the past and the second last passage is about the future contrasting one another. And the two middle passages are look around you, why are you so blind? They contrast each other too. So it actually forms this complete thematic symmetry uh, in the surah. Inshallah, if those, those of you who get a chance to view the more detailed lectures on Surah Yasin, I've actually illustrated how not only is the surah thematically so perfectly organized and structurally like symmetrical, every single one of its passages is a symmetry by itself. Every single one of them has its own unique form of symmetry. Just to give you a small taste of that, just how one passage begins and ends, you've got the Qur'an in the first passage. That's the first thing Allah talks about is the Qur'an. And by the end, He says, وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَحْصَيْنَاهُ فِي إِمَامٍ مُبِينٍ We recorded everything in a document. So He began with a divine document and He ended with a divine document. At the end, He said, we didn't teach Him poetry. That was the first thing He said about the last passage on the Qur'an. We didn't teach Him poetry. And the last ayah, إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ He says, Allah, when He wants to do something, He says, be, and it becomes. So it began with the word of Allah, that isn't poetry, and it ends with the word of Allah, كُنْ فَيَكُونَ There are parallels like that throughout the entire surah. So not only are the six themselves forming a symmetry, each one of them within themselves forms a perfect symmetry. It's absolutely mind-blowing how remarkable this surah is and how beautifully it deals with its subject matter. I want to leave you with one unique insight from this surah that just mesmerizes me. It really mesmerizes me. And it's something fascinating about the language of the Qur'an. Uh, the word yambaghi occurs twice in this surah. The word yambaghi means something to be appropriate, something to you know be befitting of someone. Okay, that's the idea of the, the word yambaghi. And it occurs in two almost completely unrelated contexts. And this is the idea of anchors in the Qur'an. Allah will use the same word for what seems completely unrelated, but it is in fact related. So I'll show you where it's used. It's absolutely mind-blowing. He says first uh, about the, the sun and the moon. It's not becoming of the sun to reach the moon, you know, to get ahead of the moon. So they have their own orbits. They're all moving in their own orbits. The sun and the moon should not be taking each other's plates or not running into each other or catching one another. It's not becoming of them. They've got their positions, they've got their roles to play. This is the first time yambaghi was used. All the way at the end of the surah, Allah says, وَمَا عَلَّمْنَاهُ الشِّعْرَ وَمَا يَنْبَغِي لَهُ it's not, we didn't teach him poetry, it doesn't fit him either. It doesn't fit the Prophet either. So the word yambaghi was used once for the sun and once for the Prophet. Which is pretty cool because elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah describes the Prophet, if you want to think about how the Prophet is, He describes him like the sun. Why? You know, وَدَاعِيًا إِلَى اللَّهِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَسِرَاجًا مُنِيرًا 
You're a caller to Allah by his leave and you are a brilliant lamp, a brilliant sun. Now the thing is, if the Prophet is the sun, if Prophet, the Prophet is being compared to the sun, then the sun shines its light on the moon. And the moon only gets its light because of the sun. Right? It's, a, it's dependent on the sun. And the sun doesn't have phases. It's always brilliant and shining. But the moon has phases. It fluctuates. Sometimes it's a brilliant full moon. Sometimes it's weak. Sometimes, القديم, the surah will say, until it becomes like a you know, little a leaf of a palm tree. It'll, it'll become an, an old dried up leaf of a palm tree. It's a very, very skinny. That's what it'll become. You know what that means? That the sun is an, a representation a, a creative representation of the Prophet's role, constantly shining light. And we, the Ummah, the believers of the Prophet ﷺ, are actually like the moon who go through phases and any good that we have is actually a reflection of the good that he gave us. Now why is that important? You remember the story that I was telling you in this surah, in the second passage, where three messengers came and there's a fourth, a believer who came and Allah highlighted the believer more than even the three messengers. It's amazing. It's as though he understands, I have my job to play, and I, the, 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 the existence of the prophets does not absolve me of my responsibility, just like the sun has its own orbit, and the moon has its own orbit, and they all have their jobs to do. Actually, the heavenly bodies Allah created, all of them have a role to play, just like messengers have their own role to play, and the members of their nations, the, the members of the Ummah of the Prophet have their own role to play, and one does not absolve the other. SubhanAllah. Just by the, the, the crafty use of words in the Qur'an, we get such profound, profound insights. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.